All right, so um, thank you for letting us as XP3 people gate crash your service today. And we would li wouldn't like to come without bringing a gift. So we have a lot of fun out in XP3 and we have a great bunch of kids out there. And they've been working hard this morning preparing, um, I think we've got pizza, burgers, ice creams. So they're going to come around um, and they're going to give you one of these as a gift. They're on their way. And um, so keep, uh, keep that, well don't keep it, eat it at any time. It is for, um, if it was difficult for you to get here this morning, to get out of bed, this might be helpful. Or if at some point during this talk you're like, man, this is pretty dead boring, and you go to reach for your phone, reach for this instead. So if I see you all start opening, I'll know I'll need to shake it up a little. So have a look at these people that are handing them out to you. If you don't know these people by name, um, these guys carrying their bags, if you don't know these people by name, you are missing out by not knowing them. Make a point to introduce yourself to them and I guarantee you, your life will be richer for it. Mine is. Um, I'm blessed by these guys every week. And I'm here, Dale and Ange, when I'm not there, they feel the same way. These guys, sometimes we have a tendency to look to these guys as the future of our church, but they are not. They are your current church. Um, and they're here and involved and um, love being here. They're very proud of Refresh as their church. Okay. You're very different to a high school chapel. It feels a bit different, or a primary school chapel. <laughs> okay, while they're sitting down. A few years ago, I watched a movie. And in the movie, there was a, a dinner scene, much like this, and... The, um, the family, I told them that if there was any left over, they could eat them. That's why there is a monumental happiness happening up there. Um, so if they're opening packets, it's not because they think I'm boring. It's just because I've said they can. Um, so there was a dinner scene with the family sitting at their table. And every night at their dinner table, they would say their highs and their lows. I think it was out of Stuart Little. I tried to find it, but I couldn't remember. So they'd sit around the table and each, each person, parents included, would sit at the dinner table and say their highs and their lows. So I thought, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that with my family. And at that time, um, we had like a baby, but we had two top, like little kids that were in infant school. So I want you to think about, if, if you high school kids can think back to when you're in prep, grade one or two, or parents, if you've got someone in infant school, you'll know what I mean. When all of a sudden we discovered that it was easy to come up with one high, but it was even easier to come up with a lot of lows. And the lows were big. Like, I'm going to start wailing at the table, lows. Like, the I spilt my yogurt, lows. Or the she said she wasn't going to be my friend today. Or these little girls won't stop chasing me, lows. So it soon became that every night when we would 
these highs and lows. It wasn't the positive experience I wanted it to become. It was just like, we have to do this again. Neil's looking at me going, well, it was your idea, not mine. <laughs> and so I decided that something had to change. So instead of going highs and lows, which was just altogether way too dramatic, we, I changed it and we went with, what was your high for today? And where have you seen God at work? And if you've been to our house or um, done stuff with us, come to Cambodia with me, then you'll see that that's become a part of just my everyday life, my family's everyday life. What was your high? And where did you see God at work? And it's something that's kind of just stuck with me and infiltrated so many parts of what I've done in my life. Now, it's Remembrance Day. We just pause for a little bit. And, and I've asked my friend Jack, my dear friend Jack, who I'm now going to give you all permission to call Chook from here on in, because he rescued a baby chick out of a well in Cambodia. Oh. And I've asked him to come if he can just spend some time remembering and reflecting on who the people were for him um, that showed him or pointed him towards God at work and kind of helped him on his spiritual journey. So I was going to have a Nico pen here for you later, so if you wanted anything signed, you could, but I forgot it, so we'll just go with Jack. You might need a microphone. Yeah. Or we could just stand like really close and you could use my... Jack. Um, yeah, um, I didn't actually know Sarah until before Cambodia. And um, when she asked me to come up here and talk to you guys, I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> but um, as I thought about it, um, a verse from the Bible, uh, Matthew 10, verse 33, you probably know it. Um, if you deny me before your friends, I shall deny you to my Father who is in heaven. And I just I thought of that and I was like, damn it. <laughs> you know, now I gotta come up. Um, so I'm gonna talk about um, how, how God came into my life. Um, back in like grade eight ish, I was like the world's biggest atheist. Um, I didn't believe, uh, I just questioned everything that anyone who believed said. I just, I couldn't come to terms with the concept of God. But um, as I grew older, I kind of became more accepting. And um, when I went to Cambodia with Sarah, uh, we had a little moment over there. And um, that is how I found God in my own life. Um, and that's how he became important to me, you know, through, through uh, Bible study sessions and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, in Cambodia, <laughs> we... Um, we, you know, did the casual storm code things. We gave, like, hats to little kids and, you know, uh, built a well, gave them water, all the, you know, standard things. And, um, yeah, Sarah is just, she just brought me closer to God in, like, every way, and I just want to thank Sarah for that. And I just want to encourage everybody out there that if you know someone who is kind of, like, going for it, but not really, they're, just kinda, they're open towards it, but they're not going for it, just encourage them to, you know, come here, come to Stormco, come to a Bible study session, come to your youth group, just, just do something to get them closer, just a little bit, 
And um, I just want to leave you with the Bible verse. I just want to leave you with um, Isaiah chapter 6. Then I heard the voice of the Lord say, Who shall I send? And whom will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And I just want to encourage you that, um, you know, keep in mind everybody around you. Keep in mind this verse. Keep in mind Matthew verse 10, chapter 20, Matthew 10 verse 33. And um, just try to, like, encourage everybody around you to come closer to God. And, yeah, so (laughs) that's basically it. Thank you um, for being, yeah. Thanks, Chuck. Um, Thanks, uh, Nick and Rog and Angus, who are on that trip with us as well. It was um, life-changing for you guys who came with us. Jack, if you talk while I'm talking, I've got the microphone now. Um, No, just kidding. Um, It was life-changing for us as well as leaders, and we've said that before to you guys here. Now... um, I wonder if while Jack was talking, if you were able to think of or identify if there was someone in your life that has been that person for you. If there's been someone that's showed up for you um, kind of as a, as a representation of God um, or showed up for you in the name of God. Um, can it, raise your hand if you, if you can, can anyone think of anyone? You don't have to say their names, you can just go yes, I've got, you could nod, you could wink, I'm okay with winking. Um, so lots of us have had the feeling where God has, people have shown up for us on God's behalf. But I wonder if there's people sitting in this room that have felt the feeling of God not showing up. Or felt like there was a moment when you were asking for something and he was just silent? Or was there a sickness that wasn't healed? Or a job that you didn't get, that you thought that God was pointing you towards? Was there a young boy that never noticed you? Or a girl that walked away when you wanted her to stay? And have you ever had the feeling of, I don't actually even know if you exist, God. Because when I look around, it doesn't really look like him. Or have you felt like that? I'm not sure if you're actually real, but just this one time, in this one moment, I'm going to give you a try. And you push all of your chips into the center, ready to just bank on God one time, and he did not show up for you. Is there anyone in this room that feels like they've experienced that experience? I've felt like I've experienced that. And the reason why I want to talk about that today, because it gives you an opportunity to share my absolute favourite, favourite Bible story of all time. And uh, I heard a sermon, well, pretty close to this sermon that you're hearing now, but um, I heard a sermon once that it was so powerful to me. It's one of the things that I've heard once 
and just remembered so much of it because it made such an impact in my life. And I'm hoping that this story does with you too because I believe it's something that every single person in this room can identify because I think every single person in this room has experienced a moment where we feel like God is silent for us and it hurts. So the main character in our story is John the Baptist. Now, if you don't know the story of John the Baptist, John the Baptist kind of starts out as like a miracle child. So um, his, his parents are quite old, kind of beyond the kind of childbearing age, and um, his father has an angel appear to him and says, you're going to have a son, <laughs> and, um, and he's got a really special job. His job is going to be to pave the way for the Lord. So he's going to do all the legwork for me to send in Jesus. So um, that's what they knew that this um, son was for. So John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, was obviously pregnant. And then along comes to visit her was what some scholars believe was her cousin, Mary, the mother of Jesus. So she also has a baby in this belly. So it's like a hello, bumping of bellies meeting. And something remarkable happens. When Mary speaks, the baby, John the Baptist, inside, I keep on thinking of him as like this really hairy dude eating locusts inside, but he's not. Well, he's probably still hairy, but um, the, the Bible says that John the Baptist, inside of his mother's womb, when he hears Mary's voice, flips inside the mother's room. So you kind of get the idea that this guy, John the Baptist, he knows who Jesus is, like even before he's even born, he knows that there's something very, very special about this baby that's, that's going to be born after him. And, and so this baby is born and John the Baptist gets to his work of heralding the Lord that is coming, heralding Jesus who is coming. He does everything right. So he, he announces Jesus. He points the way that he is coming. He prepares people. He has a simple message that you need to repent, get rid of all the rubbish in your life so that you'll be ready and that you'll recognize the Lord that's soon coming. He does everything. He even baptizes Jesus. He tells his people there's someone coming that I'm not even worthy to be near, like even to touch his feet. And then he even goes to the extent of saying to his own disciples, no, 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 don't follow me anymore. Don't follow me anymore. Follow him. Don't be my disciple. Be his disciple. He did everything right everything that he was designed to do to prepare the way for the Lord. And when we pick up the story, we're going to go to, um, we're going to look at Matthew 11. Um, when we pick up the story, we find John the Baptist in prison. Now, the reason why John the Baptist is in prison is he's a straight-talking guy. Like, he's a no-nonsense guy, so he just tells it like it is. And at the time, the king um, Herod, there's a whole heap of Herods, but we'll just talk about this one. This King Herod today, <laughs> look, if I was finished college, I might be able to tell you more, but I'm not yet. So, This Herod that we're talking about, he, um, his current, his wife was not his wife and was actually his brother's wife. So his brother's wife 
looked at him and kind of went, and his brother went, and she divorces him and then marries his brother. So she's not just a lady with lots of money anymore. She's now the queen and the king. But John the Baptist believed that that was wrong. He preaches repentance. And so he actually went about the town using her publicly as an example of needing to repent. He would say her name in public. Herodias, this is what she's done. She's unlawful. Again, she's done this against Jewish law. So it was a royal scandal. I think there would have been magazines. I think some of you would have bought them. And so it was a royal scandal that the royals did not want. Now, the Bible talks about Herod kind of semi-tolerated John the Baptist. And I don't know whether he was just curious about the weird dude or what, but he kind of tolerated him. So he didn't kill him, he put him in prison. And that's why we see John the Baptist in prison when we look at Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 1 um, to 6. They're on the screen, but if you want to read your Bible, you can. So, it says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Brace yourselves. Go and ask this guy, are you the one who has come or should I expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report, but we'll break it up. I don't, I don't, no spoiler alert. So basically what's been happening is Jesus is around the town of Galilee. He is healing people. He is fixing leprosy. He's raising people from the dead. He's making lame walk. He's causing the blind to see. All of these amazing, miraculous things that he is doing, all the while his cousin, second cousin, relative, is in prison. And John's disciples come back and they're reporting to John all this stuff that's going on. You should see what Jesus is doing. Oh my goodness, he just healed this guy, this lame guy came to him. Jesus was even healing like people that shouldn't have even gone near and they're coming back and reporting all this to John the Baptist. And it's having a profound effect on him. Because he's hearing all of these amazing things that are happening in the world around him. But nothing's happening for him. There's been nothing miraculous done for him. And what's happening to John is something that I believe that I know, I've experienced it. It happens to me and I think it happens to you and I too. Is that when our pain becomes so great and so consuming, it shrinks our world to the size of ourselves. And for John, the pain that he was in shrunk his world to the size of the prison cell that he was in. And he no longer had the ability to see or hear what God was doing. And so he was doubting. We've all doubted. I believe we've all doubted. Even if you don't admit it, I believe you've doubted and you're probably doubting whether you should have admitted it or not. But 
I think we all have those doubts. And that's, what he's ha- that's what's happening in this passage. So he calls his disciples in and goes, oh, okay, I have a mission for you. I need you to do something for me. And I imagine they'd be like, whatever, like, you poor guy, whatever you want, we'll do whatever you want. And he says, all right, well, I need, I need you to go and ask a question to Jesus. Oh, yeah, sure, like, I'll, I'll take a message to him, no worries. Okay, well, here's the question. This is what I want you to ask. Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And I just imagine John's disciples just going, say what now? Like, what? John, you've spent your whole life telling people that he was the one that was coming. You, you baptised him. Like, you told everyone. You paved the way. This was why you were born. Like, you, like, whipped in the belly when you knew, like, the fibre of your being knows who this guy is. But it just confirms for us that in that moment, his pain was so great that his world had shrunk so small that he just couldn't see outside of his personal situation. So he says, ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? And I feel like they would have gone, okay, that's great. And then I feel like as they were walking back and maybe going to approach Jesus, it was like, uh, you ask him, no, I'm not asking you, you ask him, no, I'm not asking, I can't ask him that, he's Jesus, like, that's so weird, I'm not asking him, you ask him, no, paper, scissors, rock, who asks him, okay, and so there just would be having this moment, who wants to ask Jesus if you're the one who is, like, when you've been part of the team that has been promoting him, awkward, so they go anyways, and here is what Jesus replied. It's an amazing reply. But I want to think about what didn't he reply first. What didn't Jesus say? So the disciples come to him. Are you the one we were meant to expect? Or should we expect someone else? And Jesus doesn't say, what the heck? You were like my promoters. Have you not got it yet? He doesn't say that. Or he doesn't say, I'll meet you at the back of the shed at six o'clock. We're busting him out. He doesn't say, synchronise watches. He doesn't say that. And here's what he said. And for me, it's one of the most amazing things, and I'll explain why. So verse four, so have a look at verse four. Man, if you can highlight this, highlight it, mental highlight it, put it on your phone, screenshot it. Jesus replies, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Go, you go back. You go back to John and you tell him what you hear and you tell him what you can see. And then he goes on to list things like um, what I said before, that the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to uh, all the poor. And blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So Jesus gets 
that for John, his pain is so great, it's shrunk his world down and he can't see anymore. So he says to his disciples, you, you be his ears. You be his eyes. He can't anymore. So you do it. You go back and report on the activity that you see me seeing and you share it with him. Now, um, I will admit to, um, I did steal the next slide, like legit out and out. You might need to wipe that off the video. This is, keep going to the next one. This is a phrase that for me, when I heard someone say this, it was so profound. So I wanted to make sure I got it right. It says, your personal circumstances do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. Your personal circumstances do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. Proof of how God feels about you is what happened at the cross. Not what's happening now. Not what's happening at school. Not what's happening in the awful year nine, year seven, year eight. Not what's happening in the turmoil of what the heck am I going to do next year after I've just finished school. Not in your workplace, not what's happening in your marriage, not what's happening within your family. It is not necessarily a reflection of how God feels about you. If you want to know how God feels about you, you need to look at what he did on the cross. That is the clear picture of how God feels about you. And so we go back to the story. So back to verse um, 4. Put verse 4 up for me if you can. So Jesus tells them to go back to the disciples. So I'll read it properly so you can have the whole picture. I skipped through it before. So Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. A blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account. Of me. And it's like he's saying, you know what? If you don't fall apart because of what I'm not doing for you right now, then you'll be blessed. If your life just doesn't go crazy town, or you just let everything go, or you let me go, or anything like that on account of me not doing exactly what you thought you'd like me to do in that moment, if you can get through that, then you'll be blessed. And how do we get through those moments? Because we've all said, where is God? So, when you can get in the habit of recognising where you see, can see God at work, and then you have the ability then to show that to other people. It's such an amazing gift. We started a small group in um, Tasmania when we were, um, we were just having a go at being youth people a long time ago. We weren't great at it, but 
We had good food. So we had a lot of people at our small group. And we decided to start our small group each week with where did you see God at work? And for like, for these were kind of for, I guess, young married people or just like kind of 18 plus people. And for the first two weeks, no one, no one said anything. We just go from person to person. Hmm, I don't know. I don't know either. Well, I really don't know. It kind of just kind of went around the circle. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And it was kind of at the end of the first one, I'm like, did no one really know or like God's on holiday or that was just like the dumbest way to start a Bible study group. I don't know. We need to learn from this. We went, no, let's try it again. Let's just keep doing it again. And probably for two weeks, we had no one say anything except for Neil and I because we rehearsed what we were going to say. But, and then after a while, one person just started saying, oh, oh and I saw this. And then somebody like, oh, oh yeah, I saw that too. Oh, I saw that too. I saw that too. And we had, I think sometimes we had about 20, um, 20 people in this group. And like that, that then was our bite. We were like, oh, okay, well, we best say amen because we've just done our Bible study. Because so many people just kind of didn't recognize that God was at work. But then once they kind of challenged themselves to look and see where God was at work, then they could recognize him and then they wanted to share it. But the thing about you and I is I don't think it's our natural response sometimes because it's just the nature of pain when your pain is so great that everything gets so small and you just cannot physically look outside of the pain you are currently in. It's not about you. It's not that you're weak. It's not that you're just like crazy town psycho and can't cope. Um, you might be, but like, that's okay. We love everyone. I've been there. It's all good. There is another side to that. Um, it doesn't reflect like you. It's the nature of pain. That's just what pain does to us. It shrinks our world and makes it so very, very hard to see anything outside of it. So what's the solution? What can you do when you find that you are in a place where it's so painful that you can't see God at work anymore? First thing is to look back. Look back and remember. Look back and remember. Where, where did I see God in the past? Look back and remember, do I remember a time where he was actually real in my life? Is there a moment that I can remember a significant, just something where I felt him, saw him, heard him? I don't hear him now. I don't think he's around now. It doesn't feel like he's listening. He's silent now. But look back and just see in your catalogue if you can remember a time when you did feel like he was there. And when you look back and remember, and then you've got to try and look outside of yourself and reflect on where you see God at work, outside of yourself. So look back and remember, and then look outside and reflect on what you can see going on. Jesus showed us the best way to help someone who is hurting or doubting their exist his existence is to be the eyes and the ears for those people. So for you personally, 
Look back and remember. Look out and just rediscover what he's doing. But for someone else, be their ears. Be their eyes. I remember for me, we, um, we just very distinctly felt like God was calling. I actually remember praying. You know what, God? It was after a big camp one time. And um, we're in North New South Wales. And, and Neil just kind of just wasn't himself. Neil, can I have permission to tell this story? Thank you. And um, he just kind of wasn't quite himself. And I remember he was just like having an afternoon nap or something because it was like we had a few days. It was the end of school holidays. And I remember just Neil can nap. I can't nap. So I either read or something like that. So I remember I was reading. This time I was praying. And I said, you know what, God? If this is where you want us to be, then just let us know. Lachlan was about to start school the following year. We'd enrolled him in Macquarie College. Um, we were at Walls End Church as associate pastors there. And so, you know, we had to get stuff going. Our, son, our first son was starting school. So, God, if this is not where you want us to be, if this is not right, then just please show us clearly because we need to get our skates on. We've got to, we've got to sort out our family. But if it is where you want us to be, help us to see that clearly too and reinvigorate us. Help us to know how we can feed ourselves, how we can get ourselves up and going and moving. And I didn't, I didn't tell Neil I prayed this. And the next day, um, Neil was out and I picked up a phone call and it was Kingsley Wood, I think. Kingsley Wood, hello. Yeah. Um, is Neil there? No. Could you pass on a message? Yep. Could you get him to call me? Yep. Um, can I let him know what it's about? Uh, yes. We were just wondering, um, we wanted to talk to him about moving to the youth department in Victoria. I'm like, whoa. Okay, God. Thank you for your answer. And then Neil came home from work and I said, oh, Neil, you got a phone call from Kingsley Wood. You need to call Kingsley Wood back. And Neil's like, what? Why? Oh. And he said, oh. Pray? Why did you pray? You didn't ask me if you could pray about this. I said, I did yesterday. I prayed that God would show us if he wanted us anywhere else and show us really, really clearly. Oh, I think he might be clear. And so Neil rang him back and they said, look, if we called you, would you come to the youth department in Victoria? And Neil's answer was, look, uh, I, I'm, I won't say yes but I will pray about it and, and my family will consider it. So we prayed about it and I kind of just went, oh, honey, I don't think you've got anything to consider. So um, we went into the youth department and look, our, my family had just moved um, right near us for the first time. We'd never, like a couple of months before, so that was really exciting. So we had grandparents with our kids and, and that was, you know, we were really looking forward to that. Um, well, I was, <laughs> I don't know about Neil. But, um, and so we moved we up and moved. We, we unregistered Lachlan from Macquarie College. We flew down to Melbourne. We were just like, went down for three days. God, if you want us to buy a house, we've got to find it in three days. If not, then we'll rent. We bought a house in three days and, and everything fell into place. And we're just like, whoa, got it work, got it work, got it work, got it work. And then as the years progressed, we had another baby and um, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Not because four is not a good number, it was just Joshua. Um, 
He's great now, but he was not an easy baby. We'd had easy babies, but he was not. He was the opposite of an easy baby. And um, Neil was in the youth department, so Neil was away a lot. And all of a sudden, after having Joshua, I kind of felt like my pain became so great that my world did shrink to the size of just me. I was tired. I was lonely. I was cranky. Lockie's probably nodding up the back. Yes, she was. And, um, and man, I was cross. I was cross with God. I asked him for direction. He gave it to me and he hung me out to dry. Big time. I asked for answers and he was silent. Like crazy silent. And I was hurting like I have never, ever, ever hurt before or since. And I remember saying one time to Neil that that is it. I'm not even going to pray to him anymore. Mate, I was in a theatre company in year 12. I will look like the most amazing minister's wife because I know how to do that. But this is your gig, not mine anymore. I'm not a part of this because he does not listen. He does not look after the people that he sends. But the annoying thing was is that God sent people that showed up in my life that constantly reported his activity to me so that even when I wanted so desperately to ignore him because I was angry and hurt, I just couldn't give up on him. I wanted to. I told him I was. But there was just these little things along the way when people had come to me and said, Oh, man, I just want to tell you what, what God did for me today. I just want to tell you what I saw God doing. Oh, my goodness, praise God. And because those people took little steps to show up for me, to be my ears, to be my eyes, it was impossible for me to just let him go altogether because, damn it, it looked like he was still there for others, even when he wasn't there for me. And so I believe that you have that gift to give to other people. You have the ability to recognize God at work, to hear what he does, to see what he does. And I think you also have the ability to share that activity with the people that are around you. What if it was the person sitting next to you right now, today, that they needed someone else's eyes, someone else's ears to hear Jesus because they can't see him anymore. And what if, what if we all did that? What if tonight you guys went home to your dinner table and went, okay, Let's just talk about what, where did you see God at work? And you may not have something today to say, to say today, but if you keep going and if you keep trying tomorrow and the next day and the next day, I guarantee you, you will see him. You can't not, because I tried not to, but you will still see him at work. And what if, what if you didn't just say it? 
to your family? What if you had the boldness to follow Jesus' instructions and go to the people that are around you, the hurting person beside you, the world that we know is so hurting, and say, let me tell you, I'm going to be your ears, I'm going to be your eyes and tell you where God is at work because I don't think you can see him right now. What if every single person, look around how many people there are in this room. Go, look, have a look, turn your head. What if every single one of you made a practice from here on in to say, I am going to look for God's work. I'm going to look for his activity and then I'm going to take it a step further and I'm going to report that activity to the world around me. You will change lives. I've seen that tiny, tiny statement, where did you see God at work, change lives. And not just Jack, not just people like that. I think we've all, I've wiggled, I think we all have the ability to do this and I think it's one of the greatest gifts you can give someone else. It's not hard because you all know what pain feels like. And you've all at some point, you're here today because at some point, whether you believe it or not, and that's okay, whether it's just like, oh man, I just saw free coffee, that's why I'm here, that's okay. And, but we just hope that you will catch a glimpse of God at work and that you will then be able to share him to other people because it changes lives, it makes a difference and I think you can do it and I hope our church can do that as a group. Let me pray for you. Father God, as our heads are bowed this morning, Lord, they're bowed as a people whose heads have hung heavy before because we know what hurt feels like. Lord, whether we want to admit it to you or not, we've felt times where, man, you are silent. And that's what it feels like to us. Lord, we've all had pain, I think, that has shrunk our world so small that we can't even focus on anything else. But Lord, we want to thank you for the instructions. Thank you for the clear direction that you gave those disciples that day. That we have a gift, Lord, that we can hear you, we can see you, and see your activity and then report that to other people. And Father, I just pray that today you'll pour out your Holy Spirit on this group. Lord, some of us are shy, some of us are like, man, I'll be dead doing that. But Lord, I want to pray that you will just pour out a boldness on these people, a braveness, a courage that only comes from drawing from your power and not our own. And give us the ability to look to the person beside us that's hurting to the family members, to the people who we know that are just a phone call away that need to hear and see you at work. And I pray that you'll give us the courage to report your activity to the, those around us. Lord, we know you're preparing a place for us where pain is no longer and we are so grateful for that, Father, and we long for the day that we can come home to you. And Lord, we just want to ask that you, you'll just be with us. Help us to rest in your care. For this week. Lord, help us to take steps.
to recognize you and report your activity to the world around us. We love you, God, and we can't wait to see you. In your precious name, amen.